Hey, well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ben. Welcome to Four Corners. On the stage with me is Lisa Mode, and we're here to talk to you about one of the strategic partners Four Corners is connecting with as we approach the Christmas season. Every year, we set aside a little bit of money, ask you to do the same as your gift buying for all your friends and loved ones. We ask you to take a little bit of money and set it aside for a special offering we begin collecting about now. And uh, that money goes to strategic initiatives around this church and around our community. When you came in the front door, you walked near a sign that says Real Love Now. Well, Lisa and her team bring Real Love Now under the umbrella of Seven Oaks Farm Miniature Therapy Horses. They bring Real Love Now all over our city. So Lisa, welcome to our stage. Thank you. Um, that's a really, really great video. So you guys have been getting a lot of news coverage. We have, we have. So um, in fact, you can jump on YouTube and type in Seven Oaks Farm Miniature Therapy Horses, see all kinds of stuff they're involved in. What you may not know is that Lisa and her family are a part of our church. Yeah. Lisa, tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, a little bit about you for those folks that haven't met you. Um, well, my, my parents were in the military. My dad's army, so I grew up an army brat. So about every three years, we moved all the time. Um, so I, I don't really have a particular home. This is where we consider home now. Um, I am married with John, who's my husband and a wonderful supporter of what we do. We've been married 36 years. I have five sons, um, and I have three grandsons, and the only girls have been the beautiful women that my sons have chosen to marry. So uh, we, uh, you know. You have a growing and blessed family. We do. Good. Now, we look for ministry partners every Christmas. I'm going to talk over the next few weeks about several of them. We have India and a few other things we do. But we landed with you in part because you're here, in part because what we do, but sometimes people find out what people do. They don't know the backstory. Would you tell us a little bit about your journey towards the Lord, towards Jesus, and maybe ultimately how you came to Four Corners Church? How we came here. Um, yeah, I, I, I grew up, up Catholic and a wonderful, very loving family. Um, I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ until John and I actually had been married um, for many years. Went to a church much, much like this when we were stationed in Hawaii. Um, and through a Bible study, um, a, a preset Bible study by chance, um, at that point then learned, you know, Christ actually loved me and not just the greater world, but he loved me in particular individually, and that's where life really changed for me. Um, from there, John and I continued um, our journey with the Lord. We had um, several kids by then, and it was really important for us that they, you know, grow up into the Lord and understand the truths that were there and develop a personal relationship as well. Um, so from there, we've just kind of moved around because John was a military physician um, for 14 years, and so that had us moving around. We went from Hawaii, which was a tough place to be, and then <laughs> Alaska with all the salmon fish, fishing and stuff like that, tough place to stay. Um, from there we went to DC and then um, ended up in this area and it wasn't until a few years ago where just you know the, the boys were older we didn't have anybody we had to worry about so much being in high school and it was like just everything came together where we could finally buy the rural property we've always dreamed of having um, you know the boys like to dirt bike and hunt and things like that and so this property came available um, and for you know many years we had um, for a while we had alpaca yeah. <laughs> the plural of alpaca is alpaca. Alpaca, yes. Yeah, okay. So we had alpaca um, and learned to, to crochet and learn to spin and make my own wool and all that. And it was a lot of fun. Um, but as the boys were leaving, it was too much for mom to take care of. So it's like, we've, you know, we've got to stop. But during that time, we had farm days. And the farm days, it was always difficult to keep people out of the horse barn because they wanted to go see the horses and just 
insurance-wise, you know, and those kind of things, I can't do that. So um, once we sold the alpaca, um, we, I just was thinking, you know, people still, when they came over, loved to see the horses. And I was, by chance, I happened to see, you know, on Facebook, an older gal that wanted to see a horse one more time before she died. She was in hospice care. And I thought, you know, that's going to be me. I want to see my animals one more time. Um, but, you know, I'm a huge animal person. And so I thought, okay, let's see if we can do this. Um, you know, I know enough about horses. We were training, and we had a few that we knew I could take into a building. Um, so we went to one nursing home, and just the reception was just kind of blew me away. I was really surprised at the reception that we got. And that kind of snowballed into, I was getting calls from other people saying, could you come and visit with our you know, people? And it's like, great. Um, and then it just took off until you know, now we're in 55 facilities across the Cincinnati area. So you, you visit with these horses, mm -hmm. 55 different facilities. Correct. And you partner with the Cincinnati Police Department. Correct. You've taken your horses to the airport mm -hmm. yeah. to help people yeah. who are like stressed about long lines yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That doesn't seem near as important as hospice care, but nevertheless, people <laughs> but. are stressed. So <laughs> we're, we're grateful. Um, so, so this thing just ballooned. I mean, here you were, you know, wife, mom, kids are transitioning, mm -hmm. and it really sounds like it wasn't so much of a plan as it was just a door that the mm -hmm. Lord opened. And then you just started responding more and more yeah. And then here you are. Yeah. So it's Seven Oaks Farm. That's the name of your farm. Mm -hmm. Miniature therapy horses. They're mm -hmm. adorable. Mm -hmm. um, and you guys are kind of blowing up in terms of media and exposure. Mm -hmm. Talk about, about what's been going on lately with that. Um, well, like I said, we're, we're in 55 facilities. Um, this year alone, I've put 14,000 miles on my trailer just going in and out of town. Not any other place, but just to facilities and, and things like that. So um, how it initially started, it was just, let's just take this big step and I'll call CBG and see if they're interested. And they were like, yeah, come here today. So I was like, wow, that was great. And then it was just, we called the Cincinnati Police Department and they were like, yeah, let's get together. We want to see who you are. We called the Reds and they were like, yeah. And so each time it, it was just like, wow, they, they want to see the horses and they loved them. Um, and so that just has kind of snowballed to where um, we are completely booked for the rest of the year now um, before we leave on our trip. And then I'm already booked for all of 2017. And That's we are incredible. telling people no at this point because I, I, I don't have enough handlers to go to and do all the visits that so we're requesting. So nursing homes, hospice care, Ronald McDonald House, mm -hmm. Uh, and then some of these goodwill things as well. Right. Now, your, your ministry, your service to community isn't explicitly Christian. It is to you, right. but we don't lead out with that. But in a very tangible way, you're bringing the love and right. the care and the nurture that God provides in an right. environment where people often don't get to experience it. Yeah. And we're really excited to strategically partner with you in that. So part of our Christmas gift money will go. That information is on the back of your card along with the message notes from today. So please take this home with you. And each week we'll update you more about where we're going with this. But something very, very cool and exciting is happening um, at the end of this year, beginning of next. You got a major invite, right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we... At the, it was actually this time about last year that uh, the girls, um, Shelby and um, my daughter-in-law, Sarah, and Kate, um, we were kind of sitting around. I was like, let's just dream big. What's something we could do that would just be like really wow if we got in? So uh, we were thinking, okay, what's out there? I said, let's, let's just apply to go to the Tournament of Roses Parade. 
you know, they don't have minis in there. It would be so cool if we could do that. So we went through the long application. It's like this thick. It's huge. A lot of work to get it done. Had to have people strategically involved, you know, people that would volunteer to come with us. Some of the police departments going with us. Some hospice representatives are going with us. Some of our volunteers are going with us. Um, and we got the notice back in August. You're in. And we were, you know, Yeah, that's good. <laughs> we were. It was, I, I, yeah, we just, even now, I mean, my, my mouth just drops and I'm in awe that, you know, that's a huge stage for us to be in. Um, and we can't be more excited. So we leave December 14th. Um, Kate and Shelby and David and I, David is our fix-it guy, so we hope he's bored the whole time because I don't <laughs> want any fix-it. Um, and we'll be pulling a 30-foot trailer in my truck, the one you saw out there, 6,000 miles. Yes, yeah. 6,000 miles. All the way out to California. And then and on, all the way back. On January 2nd, is, so you guys can watch it on television. Yeah. You'll see several folks from our congregation there. We'll wave. Um, in a way that doesn't look odd. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come up with a 4C sign or something. Maybe it's like this. I don't know. But, uh, but we'll do something. Have a great time with that. But um, we're strategically partnering with them in part to help fund these kinds of initiatives. So when opportunity comes, when it's obvious the Lord's opening doors, one of our philosophies has been wherever God is already, we just want to go where he is and just pour as much energy and resources as we can on that. How can we... Um, how can we pray for you and the doors that God is opening? Um, the biggest thing, the, the trip is going to be, it's a substantial deal. I've got um, eight horses we're bringing. Um, we're visiting several Ronald McDonald houses along the way. They know we're coming. Um, Tell everybody where you're going to be like right at Christmas. Um, we're going to be at the San Diego Naval Base. Um, they have soldiers that are you know, in hospital right now, and they've already arranged for us to see eight different places there. I mean, they're, they're real excited and they're, you know, know we're coming. So we're thrilled. So on Christmas Day, um, we will be spending time bringing the horses into soldiers who most of them are critically ill um, and just bringing a bit of joy to their day and saying hi and let them know we care. Um, part of us going out there as we visit all these places we go to, um, we are bringing goodie bags, um, especially for the children that we visit. So we're looking for um, coloring books, crayons, just things, you know, little kids would, can do. It has to be something they can do while they're sitting, while they're doing treatments and all. Um, and just to say hi from Ohio that we care and we love you. So that's, that's one of the things. Um, with doing such a long trip, um, the safety and health of my horses are real important. And then the safety and health of all of us in the cab together <laughs> for 6,000 miles um, is important. Um, we're going to talk about some of the stuff in the message coming up. How to have joy so, with people. Yeah, all right, so, yeah. so I mean, we're, we're excited. So, so that would be the main thing. And then just pray. Um, whenever we go on a visit, our, you know, I, I can't initiate the conversation, but all the facilities we go to, we've discussed that. And if they ask questions, I can tell them who my Savior is. I can tell them about my walk with Christ. I can't start the conversation, but if they ask, I can answer. We all can. Um, and so that's one of our prayers is that the question would come. Um, that gives us a doorway in. Um, and to, to share um, where my joy comes from, where I believe all this, you know, I, the amount of joy you get going into a place is just incredible. When you know people sometimes, um, especially in the senior homes, they don't get a lot of visitors, and life is very difficult for them sometimes. And the only time they have someone visit is actually when groups like, like mine come in and we spend time, we get to know them, we get to, you know, 
we hold hands sometimes, they talk about childhood memories with the horses, and it, it, it's a big deal. And sometimes for these residents, it's the only time they'll come out of their rooms is when they know we're there because they want to see the horse. Um, so pray, pray for these people that we visit, um, that we can be a, a, a light to them, that we can be a light of who Christ is, and um, to show where our joy is coming in. The last thing to pray for, well, there's two last things to pray for, is as we're doing all this, I, I hope our group can not get so caught up in the details we forget to enjoy the moment. Um, mm. Because we can, we're going to see so many people along the way. There's a lot of TV and all that kind of stuff, but just that we can savor the moment and see the doors God is opening and not miss those doors because we're so worried about the details because there's a lot of details that go into a trip like this. Um, the last one, um, funding is a big deal. Um, we are a nonprofit. Um, matter of fact, it was a year ago um, this month that we decided let's go ahead and, and make this official and a file for our 501c3. Um, we got it within two months, which is great. That's, un that's unheard of. Yeah, I, to me that was like, okay, you know, this is, a, this is fantastic. You know, God's got to be on board with this because that was unheard of. Um, so funding is, is a major deal for us. Um, like I said, we um, rely solely on donations. Um, we get some from the places we visit, but most of their budgets are very, very small when it comes to what I do. Um, and then, so that would be the thing. And then if you would go to our website, um, Seven Oaks Farm Miniature Therapy Horses, and share what we do with people on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, because companies that want to sponsor us want to see that we have a, a large following, that we have a sphere of influence. So that's important to them. So, you know, the more people we can get to follow, the better it is, and it helps, you know, you know, we don't have to get $1,000 donations all the time, but if we get 20 dollars $30, $5, it adds up. So, Yeah, in just a moment, we're going to pray for Lisa and her team. But when you give to our Christmas offering, and I'll tell you a bit more about that over the next few weeks, this is not a have-to kind of thing for us. It's a get-to. Uh, we want you to be excited about the way our church is strategically partnering with ministries like Four Corners Church India, where our orphanage and church planning ministry is, and some of the other initiatives we're doing here. We want you to be excited about that. But when you give, if you look on the back, our goal is aggressive, and a significant portion of it goes to help fund Seven Oaks Farm for just the mechanical stuff that they have to do, the day-in, day-out operational stuff. But right now, would you just forget all that stuff, and let's ask God to bless Lisa, open doors, and provide resources. Would you bow your head with me? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you have raised up uh, this family, this ministry, um, and that you're using them dramatically around this city already. Our prayer, Father, to you is that you would open up doors of opportunity for them. You would give them great favor with people, great favor with organizations, that God, when they go into these places, not only would kids and adults and struggling people see the horses and smile, God, we pray that they would in fact ask, why are you doing this? What's important to you? Talk to me about you. And that that would open up doors for Lisa and her team to share the ultimate joy, the message of Jesus. God, we pray that you would pour into their laps abundant resources so that they can do more and more and more to bring real love now to people that are hurting. And we specifically ask, Father, your hand upon them for this journey to the West Coast and back. Keep them safe. Let everybody whose lives they touch along the way have a, a temporary smile and, and, a, 
and a satisfactory event, but more importantly, a hint of the greater joy that is behind it. We pray all these things in your name. Amen and amen. Would you guys say thank you to Lisa for her help? We're so proud of you, Lisa. Thank you. Well, what an exciting time to be at Four Corners. Again, take a look at this. You're welcome to take it home. I would like for you to do that. Right now, I'd like you to pull it out because on the back side of it is our message notes for today, and you can follow along. I'd like for you to do that, all right? We're talking today about joy. It's our second week in that. I want to talk with you about joy, finding joy with people. Um, it's been said kind of uh, sarcastically and critically, maybe, maybe a little bit cynically, that church would be awesome if it weren't for sound equipment and people. Think about that for a second. Church would be awesome if it weren't for sound equipment and people. I don't know what your church experience has been, but when people come into church, they often think, hey, this is a place where relationships should run smooth, where people should get along, where love is expressed without hindrance, and where all the challenges of the world are left outside. And those aren't necessarily wrong thoughts. They're just incomplete. The truth is, is that everything that God has done in this world, when he started the family, when he instituted the church, when he decided to set up authority and government, all those are institutions of God, they all have great promise with them, but they also have challenges. And so sometimes having joy with people can be difficult. You've experienced some of this this week. If you sat up till 3.30 on Tuesday evening, you experienced a little bit of this. If you got on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram uh, the next couple of days, you experienced a little bit of the challenge of having joy with people. And we're talking about it today, not so much over where our culture has been lately, but I bet over the next few weeks, you're going to be around family and friends and coworkers and schoolmates as we approach the holiday season, a season of great promise, a season where joy crashed into this world through the person of Jesus. And he did it because he loved people. And we're going to be around people this holiday season. And it could be that you're going to rub up against some people that when you think about them, the last word you would associate with your connection with them is joy. Could be that that's going to happen. Could be that you'll find yourself at a Thanksgiving meal and you're not thinking joy. Could be that you'll be even be opening presents with other people in the room and you're not really thinking joy. Some of you might be thinking joy when the person you hope doesn't show to those events, doesn't show. At that point, you'll think joy, right? I don't know where you're going to find, but I bet you you'll have an opportunity to bump up against people in the next six to eight weeks and joy doesn't come to mind. Not only are we in the second week of our joy series, today we're going to begin diving deep into the biblical book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, you want to go there on your phone. When I get to the passages today, they're on your paper or on the screen. But we're going to look at the book of Philippians. And what's fun about this book in our Bible is it's often called the epistle or the letter of joy. Joy is used some 16 times in the book. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church at a city called Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. And he wrote this letter to them at a time when he wasn't having a lot of joy in his life. Acts chapter 16 tells the story of Paul's journey to Philippi and what happened to him there. When Paul went to Philippi, he was falsely accused, put on trial. He was whipped, he was humiliated, and thrown in prison. This is the beginning of the Philippian church. And yet when he writes a letter to them a few months later about his love for them, about his concern for them, he starts with joy. Kind of interesting. 
He goes through a very difficult time, and on the back end of that very difficult time, his lasting emotion, his comfort, his memories are all centered around joy. So if you're looking for something to do this week, biblically speaking, you could read those three or four pages in your Bible called Philippians in your New Testament. And what you'll find is over and over and over again, Paul takes great care to express his joy, joy in the Lord. But today we're going to focus on how he spoke about the joy he had with people, the joy he had with people. Now, his season was difficult. You might be in a difficult season. You might be coming to a difficult season. But the good news today is there is joy through Jesus available. In fact, it's not just available. Joy through Jesus is our destiny as sons and daughters who belong to our Heavenly Father. For those of us that call Jesus our Lord and Savior, joy isn't the thing we kind of hope to experience. It's the very thing God wants for us. He takes great joy in bringing joy to our lives. But life has a way of sucking the life sometimes out of joy. So today, I want to challenge you and I want us to think through how we can have joy with people. Now, for some of you, this will be easier. Your personality is such, your history is such, that it's relatively easy for you to think about people and have very fond memories. Others of you, when you think about people, it's a mixed bag, sometimes very bad stuff. Doesn't matter what our background is, the teaching of Scripture today helps us press in to the joy God has for us. And as I challenged you last week, I want to challenge you to think about it this way. I don't want you to go through this holiday season where Jesus crashed into time and space, lived among us, gave his life so that we could have a joy-filled life with our Heavenly Father and somehow miss the whole point of Christmas as we go into Christmas. Miss the whole point that Jesus came to this earth for people, that he took great joy with people, people who ultimately crucified him. He took great joy with people and we miss it. So our point number one, as we begin right here on the, the message notes on the back of your thing is this, when we think about finding joy with people, here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do that Paul does, is he was grateful for the good in people. So our first blank is be grateful for the good in people. Philippians chapter one, verse three through five says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until the very last, this day until now. When Paul thinks about people, he says, I pray for you, I think about you, but I think about you with joy. And as I told you, it wasn't that he had a joyful experience in Philippi. In fact, it was quite bad. It was quite bad. Trumped up charges, literally beaten, thrown in a prison and left there for a little while. Wasn't a good experience, but when he thinks about the past, he focuses upon the joy he has for people. I think that in the little space there, under point one, you might want to write a couple words, something like this. Focus on the best, focus on the best, and limit the rest. When Paul thought about the past in Philippi, and he begins to write this letter, where he's going to give them some profound truths, we're going to discover them over the next several weeks. One of the things he does that makes him experience the joy, that makes it able to be grateful for that experience is, is he focuses on the best parts of those memories, and he limits the rest. What's your personality? 
What's your personality? Do you tend to see the best or the worst? Now, don't answer that for yourself. Ask your spouse. Ask your best friend. Ask your son-in-law, your daughter-in-law. Do you tend to focus on the best or the rest? Now, I'm not suggesting we have to be Pollyanna. You know her, the, the Disney character who only saw the good. I'm not suggesting you have to fake it till you make it. I am suggesting that the Apostle Paul demonstrated in his experience with Philippi compared to his writing of the letter to the Philippians how it is you can have very difficult times, very challenging environments, and still come out with joy. One of the secrets of that is what he focuses on here. He says, I pray a lot, and when I pray, I have joy because of you guys. I take joy in you. I look for the good in the situation. I take great joy in the engagement we had. Now, I don't know what your relationships are like, but I bet you they're a mixture of good and bad. Joy producing, joy stealing. And depending on your personality, depending on how you're wired, you'll naturally fall on the critical side of things or you'll fall, you'll fall on, the, on the more positive, looking for the good in people side of things. I'm not sure which way it comes natural, but did you know that you can actually train yourself to see the good in people? You can do this. And I'm not talking about the kind of good that saves a person. We don't believe that can happen. I'm not suggesting you have to turn away and not look at the bad stuff. I'm suggesting, though, in the relationships that you care about, your spouse, your kids, your friends, you can actually train yourself to see the good and to limit the rest. Paul says, from the very first day I met you, you helped me. You partnered in the gospel with me. God has put people in your life that has come alongside of you at very difficult times. It's the way God works. It's the way he designs relationships. God brings people into our lives at challenging seasons for us, but sometimes because of the way we're wired, because we haven't disciplined ourselves to see the good, we even miss how blessed we are in the middle of our difficult circumstances. If you ever went through a rough time in your marriage and your spouse stuck with you, you're a blessed person. You are. If you ever had a rough season as a parent, and then that season passed and you've discovered what it's like to watch your kids develop and grow. And there was a certain intactness to your relationship with your kids, even though you may have gone through a difficult season, there's good there. If you've gone to an imperfect church where not everybody did everything right all the time, and yet, generally speaking, the gospel was preached and ministry was done, you're a blessed person. There's a way to look at your life where you can see the good and limit the rest. If you want to get along with people, if you want to experience joy in a holiday season, especially if you've gone through some family drama, one of the things that you'll have to do is be grateful for the good that has come along in your life through those relationships and limit the impact of those other memories that keep crowding out your joy. This is one of the secrets to getting joy in our lives. The joy that God has for us is already there. He prayed it. He mentioned it. He said, Jesus said, I want my joy to be made complete in you. But for some of us, we're not grateful for the good in people around us. We only see the bad. And so what needs to happen 
in this holiday season is, is we need to figure out ways to open up our eyes to see the good in people. You might be sitting next to somebody right now who is hoping that you're listening to what I'm saying. They're hoping that you will begin to see the good in them. You might be living with, you might work with somebody who doesn't even know what we're talking about right now. And they, if they could hear what we're saying, they would be saying to you, if they were honest and transparent, I hope you will do a better job of not ignoring my faults, just turning up the temperature on the good that I'm doing. I wish that would be more part of our conversation. I bet you, no matter how difficult your most difficult relationship has been, there are moments, if you will, Focus on good and limit the rest. There are moments that you would be able to say there was, in fact, good there. And not just acknowledge it, but be grateful for it. Be grateful for the good that that person brings into your life. Ladies, do you know that there's no such thing as Mr. Perfect? I mean, your husband's not perfect, but there's a lot good there. Guys, did you realize there's no such thing as the perfect wife? But there's a lot good there. And the way we decide to view all of their lives with us in the good or the bad has a big impact on the quality of your marriage. When Paul says, I thank God for you every time I remember. That's a pretty powerful statement. What do you thank God for as you think about your spouse? What do you thank God for? Do you thank God? Little, little secret about joy. Gratitude and thankfulness almost always precede our sense of joy. It could be that what's robbing you of joy is, is that you don't have a grateful heart for the things that God has brought into your life. I'm sure your job's not perfect. Got it. It might be a job you need to leave. We've talked about that from this stage recently. But at the same time, God has given you an environment in which you can earn some money to meet some of your needs. And there's a way to look at your situation and not be blind and not be Pollyanna, but at the same time, learn an attitude of gratitude. And I have found when we do that, when I do that, it opens the pathways to joy. Let's move on to the second one. I think here's another way we could be finding joy with people. Right from Paul's words in Philippians, the first chapter. We can practice positive praying. Now, this is not me trying to be pop psychology on you. I'm just acknowledging that most of our prayers begin from the negative perspective. Most of our prayers begin with what we need and the gaps we see in our life. And we're asking God to get rid of the difficulties to fill the needs. And that's all fine and good. In fact, don't stop doing that. But do you also do the other side? Do you not take some time or do you take some time to think about how God would like to show up in your situation? Let me read for you a couple of verses and then let's unpack the way that Paul prayed positively for the people that he cared about. Philippians chapter 1 verse 5 says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And then if you were to skip down to verse 9, he says, And this is my prayer. Let's talk about the prayers he prayed with joy. He said, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best 
and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, if you unpack that and kind of strip it of some of its theologically sounding words, I can put it into some plain English for you. There are four ways that Paul prayed positively for the people in his life. Think about this person you work with that gets on your nerves. Think about your spouse. Think about your children. Think about somebody that's going to be sitting around the Thanksgiving table. Here's how Paul prayed for those people. He said, I pray that you would, number one, grow in love. So when he prayed for these people, he said, I want you to grow in your ability to love. So he put his head down. He'd think about this Philippian church and the people he was so deeply invested in and the hard times he had. And he would find himself saying things like, God, Help their love to grow. Help their capacity to love other people grow. And he wasn't praying in a God help them love kind of way, but God help their capacity to love. God, would you grow their hearts so that they can love like you loved? God, as I think about this church, would you help them to demonstrate your love? Let them just be a conduit, unfiltered, your love shining through their lives. Help the love to grow. So rather than simply being frustrated that their love was not complete, wasn't fully mature, he prayed in the positive direction for the change he hoped to see. I wonder, I wonder how many marriages in this room would be better if each spouse was sincerely praying that the love of God would be made more perfect in their spouse. And they prayed it not with anger, but with hope. I wonder how many more parent-child relationships would improve if parents prayed, not just God, you know, grow my kid up, mature them. That's fine. That's kind of what we're getting at. But more importantly, God, would you let your love take full root in their lives? And would you let that love begin to come through their lives unfiltered? Here's another way that Paul prayed in the verses we read. He prayed that the people he cared for would make wise choices. That sounds very parental, doesn't it? I used to get on my daughter's nerve. I'd drop her off for school, and as she's getting out, I'd say, make wise choices. And sometimes she'd kind of say it back to me sarcastically, but I meant it, you know, make wise choices. And when Paul thought about the people he loved, part of the reason he was able to take joy in them, part of the hope he had for them, knowing that they were imperfect, is, is that they would make wise choices. He said, I I want you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. So you may be able to discern, to discern wisdom, that you would have wisdom. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how many men would make better choices. I'm just throwing this out. Their choices are on them. But what if there was a praying, supportive wife that was with sincerity praying, God, give my husband discernment today. So that in the choices he has to make, there would be wisdom there. Wisdom that supersedes his natural ability. Your wisdom, God, lived out in his life. God, I want you to fill my husband with wisdom today. Now, you don't have to say amen, ladies, but wouldn't life be better if your husband was just a little more wise? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Well, here, here's the thing. You can't make that happen. But it, what's amazing with prayer is that prayer is unlimited in its impact. God will do with prayer whatever he wants to do. 
God will do with prayer whatever he wants to do. So when you start praying godly things for your family, for your spouse, for your business, for your ministry, for yourself, when you start praying that way, you literally are starting to tear down barriers that you and I don't even know exist. It's not that it's magical, but it's deeply spiritual. That prayer does incredible things for us. Prayer literally opens up God's work in people's lives. I don't understand mechanically how it happens. I just know that over and over and over again, the scripture affirms that prayer changes things. So rather than praying for God to move the problem, what if we focused a little bit more and said, God, I'm praying for this person over here, people I love. Maybe the relationship's good, maybe it's not. But I want them to grow in love. I want them to make wise choices. Number three, I want them to do right things. The the Bible says that they may discern what is best and may be pure and blameless, filled with righteousness. That is, they're doing right things. Not just make wise choices, but literally begin to value godly things and begin to devalue things that aren't godly. Parents, what if your prayers for your kids were populated with words like, God, let your love in my child's heart take full form. Help them to make wise choices, your wisdom to be their wisdom. God, help them to see right and wrong and to choose right things, righteous things. And then number four, Paul prayed that they would live for God's glory. He says, fill them with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, to the glory and to the praise of God. Why do we pray these things? Because we want God to shine in the people's lives we interact with. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's very difficult to hold on to anger when you're praying for somebody. It's very difficult to see only the dark side of somebody's personality when you're lifting them up in prayer. It's very challenging to hold on to bitterness when you're praying for people. It could be, and I don't want to make it too simplistic, but it could be that the thing that's holding back your marriage the most is not the change that your spouse needs to make. It could be your prayer life. We know from Peter's writings that prayer is powerful in a marriage. Paul, or Peter says it this way to husbands. He says, husbands, you want to know what will hinder your prayers? How you treat your wives. If your prayers aren't being answered, look at how you treat your wife. There's an intricate connection between prayers and marriage vitality. And the truth is, and I'm not trying to beat you up with this, the reason our joy buckets leak very often is we're not simply praying enough. We're not praying enough. We're not approaching our relationships with an attitude of prayer. Paul brought his desires for the people he cared about in prayer to the Lord. And then that affected how he interacted with those people that he was praying about. Again, it's very difficult to hold on to grudges. Very difficult to hold on to unforgiveness when you're praying for people. And if you're not a person who has normally been praying, the good news about this holiday season is, is you could literally take those four items right there and once a day for less than three minutes, you could find yourself saying, God, would you make this person fill in their name? Would you make in them these things to happen? Would you, have, would you help them to grow in your love? 
Would you help them to make wise choices? Would you help them to do right things? Would you help them to live for your glory? And watch what happens in their lives. But here's the secret. Watch what happens in your heart as you do that. Watch what happens in you. Let me tell you what will happen, just so we're clear. Your joy will grow. Your joy will grow. If you are one of these followers of God that David talked about where he said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He was saved. (laughs) They didn't have any joy in it. If that's you, don't take shame in that. Just don't get stuck there and start praying for the people that God brings into your lives. Number three, here's another way to grow in joy with people this holiday season. Value progress more than perfection. This is tough for some of us. We love the finished product. We don't mind working hard because when we work hard, there's going to be a finished product. But for Paul, he loved the process people were on. He enjoyed the journey as much as he enjoyed the destination. He wasn't waiting for his relationships to get perfect. He enjoyed the process where God worked in people's lives, growing them and changing them and maturing them and maturing him at the same time. Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul says this about the people he cared about. Being confident of this. So what was he confident about? That he who began a good work in you will complete it. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The God who began the work in people, that God is going to complete the work. That's a pretty powerful confidence that Paul has. He began to value In this passage, you can see it, not just the ultimate work that's going to be done, but the God who is going to keep working in people. Can I be honest with you? There's a marriage in this room that's lasted more than seven years, and you haven't thought at some point, I'm not sure if the love we used to have is the same quality love we're having right now. That was a nice way of saying, I'm not sure if I love you anymore. It's happened. Most marriages. I'm not sure if I love you anymore. I hear this a lot in counseling situations. You probably have a friendship that at different seasons were tighter and more more closely connected than they are right now. Here's the good news about all that stuff. God's not done. He never is. Humanity gives up on a lot of stuff. There are books that were started, that have been started to be written that aren't complete. There are projects in the house that have been started and aren't finished. I've got like seven of them in my house. Started and not finished. We are very good at starting things as human beings. You know what God's good at? God's good at completing things. Very different. God's very good at taking broken things and working in them over time to right what's wrong. Now, sometimes our timeline, because we value the end and not the process, our timeline doesn't match the Lord's. And it could be that when your son or daughter is 15, God isn't done with them yet. Have you ever thought about that? God's not done with them. Could be that right now, for instance, you're not liking me. It's okay. Give me about a year. God's not done with me. I bet in a year you'll like me. I'm hopeful. It's the way it works. God values the progress in people. We often value the end product. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, talks about this. It says that we all love a clean barn. We all love a clean barn. So think agricultural society. We want the barn clean. We want it perfect. We want it all put up. But, he says, it takes oxen to plow the fields. 
Now, at first glance, you don't understand necessarily what that's all about. But what, what that proverb is trying to tell us is, yeah, a clean barn is nice, but the moment you put oxen in the barn, it's not going to be clean. So what do you want, a clean barn or do you want plowed fields? Because you can't do both. I'm just going to suggest to you that the relationships, the blessing in relationship that God brings to you is probably not going to be perfect like a clean barn. Because the moment you start moving forward at all, it gets a little messy. But we can train ourselves to start loving the progress and the process more than we love the perfection. There's a way, and it's detrimental to focus on excellence that actually does harm. And then there's a way to focus on excellence that does benefit. To focus on excellence and perfection to require all the people around you to always do it well destroys joy in relationships. But holding a high value and expectation, but coming alongside people in the process, helping them reach more than they might reach on their own, enjoying the processes, loving them in the middle of their lack of perfection can actually help people achieve more than they'll ever achieve and enjoy the process along the way. Do you love the process or do you love the product? Let me tell you a secret about church work. In church work, you're dead in the water if you don't love the process. Because God's not trying to grow a perfect product here. God's not trying to grow a perfect production on a Sunday morning. God's not trying to get every detail right. That's not his end goal. His goal is to grow people as they try to do the ministry he's called them to. So for a church that focuses on production and doesn't value process, they're dead in the water. For marriages that have to be perfect in order for there to be joy, they're dead in the water. But for people that will focus on the idea that God is still growing us and he's not done and we can have confidence in him, even though I can't have confidence in you at this moment, there can be joy even when there's difficulties. So Paul's saying, yeah, Philippi wasn't a great experience, but I'm confident God's not done yet. Number four. I think that if we can learn to love people from our hearts and not just our heads, from our heart and not just our heads, I think it can make a difference. Look at how Paul worded it in Philippians chapter one. It's right for me to, here's his word, feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, can I tell you something? I have found if I don't have people in my heart, they get on my nerves. If you're not in my heart, you probably get it on my nerves. Anybody else? Yeah. You ever, you ever like, you know, be in a, in a difficult season in a relationship and that the spot that somebody used to hold is a little maybe covered over, not as brightly lit. They're not in your heart in the same way. They get on your nerves. So what Paul says is, I'll pull you into my heart. I, I wrap myself, my emotions, my feelings to the best I have control around you and what's good and God's work in your life. I have you in my heart and it makes me able to put up with you. This is what makes a mom of young kids when I would like literally go crazy. And they get up day in, day out and they give themselves to their little toddler kids who get on my nerves, you know? I, I barely like my kids when they were that age. Being around yours, I like you, but it's just difficult for me, right? It's the way I'm wired. I was in the store the other day, and this mom's walking by, and there's this little baby, and the baby's cooing, and the mom is having a conversation with this cooing baby. And the baby is something like, goo goo gaga. I don't remember because I kind of blocked it out. But I heard the mom say, oh, is that right? Tell me more. 
And so the baby does a few more noises. And the mom says, really? I didn't know that. What color was it? I'm like, she either has, she's tapped into something I haven't, or she just got back from Colorado and had some brownies. <laughs> or, or she understands something that a lot of relationships doesn't. That baby was in her heart. It didn't matter what the baby did. There was a warmth and affection for that baby. Philippians 1.8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, not just his emotion. He says, I, I think about the way Christ has feelings for you. And that pulls my feelings towards you. Could be that you're going to sit around the Thanksgiving dinner and then politics are going to come up. I got one of two pieces of advice. Ready for the first one? Run, run. Or, or, here's the here's second one. Try to put on the affection of Christ. Not simply the wisdom of Christ or the truth of Christ. That's valid, but the affection of Christ. And try to think about how Christ feels about that person who's talking about politics at your table. What would that look like? If you had them in your heart, how would that affect the conversation? That's what I'm getting at. It might be that we still talk about truth and wisdom and we disagree, but I bet how we did it, if we had the affection of Christ, would begin to change. I bet how you talk about the challenges in your marriage, in your family, in your finances begin to change when you're talking with the person who is in your heart and you're trying to view them through the affection of Christ. Romans chapter five, it's not in Philippians, but I put it down. He says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to us. If I'm like setting a bar too high and you're thinking I could never do that, Ben, you're exactly right. The things I'm asking you to do here are probably beyond your ability. They're certainly beyond mine. But you know whose ability they're not beyond? They're not beyond the Lord's. Paul begins his epistle of joy with prayer, with the affection of Christ for people. He's grateful for imperfect people. And that produces in him 16 times in this little small letter, joy, 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 joy. Prayer, gratitude, the affection of, heart, of his heart, of Christ for the people in his life. I think, I think that what could happen for us is the same kind of thing. Last couple blanks on our page. God's love is not something we work up, the passage told us. It's something that God does in us. God does it in us, and then he does it through us. He does it in us. We don't work it up. We more than that, we pray it down. We don't, you know, we don't fake it till we make it. We press into the process God has us on and we open our own hearts for the love of God to begin to flow through us. You know, don't pray it out loud over your meal at Thanksgiving when politics are about to come up, but find yourself before that meal saying, God, today at the conversation, help me to reflect your attitude in words as we talk. And if I can't, help me to be quiet. God, in this conversation I'm going to have with my wife about this difficult thing, help me to have your heart for her even as we press through this conversation we have to have. And I'm telling you what will happen. If you'll go into it with a prayerful attitude, opening up yourself for God to work in you and through you, what you're going to discover is, is you'll probably move forward, maybe not at the speed you wanted, but you'll probably move forward. But when you move forward, rather than draining you, I have a hunch your joy bucket will begin to be filled up. There might be somebody praying right now 
that you're listening to what I'm saying. That their experience of joy with you would change for the good because you're hearing right now that a prayerful attitude, praying good for people, putting on the mind and the heart of Christ as we engage people can make a dramatic difference in our lives. I want you to come through this Christmas season not just singing joy to the world. I want you to have joy at your house. I want you to have joy in your life. And in this epistle we're going to work through over the next few weeks, you're going to see a handful of tools. Today, we began with prayer and the mind and heart of Christ as we think about the people God's put in our lives. Right now, we're going to take out our connect cards and we're going to take a few steps together as a congregation. So next service, we're going to baptize um, six people. It's pretty incredible. Six people whose stories have been radically altered because Jesus not only crashed into the world, he came into their lives. It's a beautiful thing. This joy that I'm talking about really is only possible in a relationship with him, like they're demonstrating when they get baptized. But it's very possible you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to give you a chance to change that right now. It won't be anything you do. It's more of something you accept. It's been done for you. Jesus' death and resurrection proves that God has power over sin. So since we're sinners, the death and resurrection of Jesus means that he has the ability to cover our sin. We put our trust in that. And we ask him then to lead our lives. Jesus, would you lead my life? If you want to do that, I ask you to Take that pen and check next step A there on your connect card. It says, today I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior. Savior, the forgiver of your sins and the Lord, the leader of your life. And it doesn't all happen in this moment, but I don't think you're here by accident. I think that God has been strategically working in your lives in part making sure you were here today because he wants you to know that he's calling you and he wants you to respond to that. So if that's you, check it. When our offering buckets come by at the end of the service, that's going to give us your information and we're going to reach out to you. Send you a little bit of information about what it means to walk with Jesus. We want his joy to be in your life. You do that by opening your life to him. How about next step B? Today I'm choosing to be baptized. If you're in first service and would like to be baptized in second service, we have some clothes and towels. I'd be glad to meet with you right out here in the front of the room for a few minutes, talk with you about that. If you'd like to get baptized in second service, you can do that. Or you can check the box and we'll communicate with you and begin that conversation just like we have with these six folks that are getting baptized next service. Next step C says, Ben, I'll read the Finding God in the Ordinary Bible reading plan. So we found a handful of verses about how to find God in your everyday life, find joy in your everyday life. And if you want to follow that, I'll send you the link. About five minutes a day for the next few days, you can finish this reading plan. It's pure Bible. You kind of bring the truth of God to your situation and see if that doesn't open you up to a little bit more joy. Let me send that to you. Just check it, all right? Or next step, D. Who would say, hey, Ben, I'll pray with our, uh, for my church, for our leaders, for our volunteers, for our growth outwardly into the community and inwardly as disciples. As we go into the end of this year, we're in a time of evaluation and looking forward to next year. And I'd love your prayers. I believe that if you'll pray for our church, if you'll take our church in your hearts, like I've been talking for you to take people, it will make a practical difference around here. And I covet, I long for your prayers. 
So just check it and I'll send you a little reminder about that. And finally, next step E, who would say, Ben, I don't know yet how much, but yeah, you can count on me. I'll give to our Christmas gift. We're calling it Seeds of Change. We're planting seeds of change. It'll take a while for them to be fully materialized and produce a harvest. But today, the seed in our hand holds the promises of tomorrow. So if you'd like to be a part of that, just check it. Let me send you some information about it in email this week. Now, can you pray with me before we sing our final song together? Bow your head, please. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't given up on us, that you really do value not just where we're going. You love getting in the process, making progress in us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us incomplete people. Today, Lord, we open up ourselves as best as we know how. We say yes to you. We ask you, Lord, that you would begin to make our joy complete. Just as you followed the heavenly Father, we ask that we would follow our heavenly Father. And as we walk in obedience, as we open ourselves up to the move of your spirit, that our joy would be made complete. Today, Lord, I specifically ask that in the relationships that we are engaging over the next several weeks, that those relationships would be marked by prayer, that we'd be able to see the good and be grateful for the people you have in our lives. We'd value the progress, not just the end product we're hoping for. I pray, Lord, that we would have the affection of Christ for our spouses, for our kids, for our coworkers. Lord, I join right now with those that are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I put my trust in you. I wanna follow you with my life. God, I pray that as we step forward into this Christmas gift and all that you're going to do through it, all the seeds that are gonna be planted, that you would impress upon our hearts, our ability to make a positive difference in this world as we give back to you a little of what you blessed us with. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing. And God, I want to say thank you for these six people that are going to be baptized. Thank you for the change that you have brought in their lives. We celebrate you and we celebrate what you're doing in their lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.